Let's pray together. Father, we do ask this morning that you would give us your spirit to open your word so that we might understand it, we might hear it, we might receive it, and we might apply it to eternal life in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I apologize. I just came back from vacation last night, and I think the pollen has attacked me. And so I'm sneezing a lot and using lots of hand gel just in case you're worried uh, when you come around to communion. Uh, it is good to be back. Rachel and I were in Florida together at our sister-in-law, her sister's wedding. And we visited lots of friends, but it is wonderful to be back with our family at Holy Cross this morning and open the Word of God together. So I added a few verses. This is what happens when you go on vacation. They change the scriptures. They shortened them up a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute, I needed those verses. And uh, so I read them. <laughs> Preacher's privilege, that's what I say. Now, I don't know if any of you are carpenters, but most of you have been homeowners at one time or another. There is an old saying in the carpentry world, and I have found as a homeowner it's true. Always try your best, then caulk and paint the rest. Now, I've learned over the years, it's true, right, that this is very true, that uh, there are a number of ways to cheat when it comes to carpentry, and most of it involves finish work. Uh, no matter the solution, or no matter the problem, a little bit of caulk, a little bit of paint, a little bit of putty, and a lot of trim will always fix your problems. But no matter the solution, it never fixes the underlying issue, which is that something in your wall isn't square. It just isn't right. For the last several weeks, we have been looking at the beginning days of Jesus' ministry. And the gospel writer, Luke, is telling the story of what happens when Jesus brings the kingdom of God to bear in our life. And what we've noticed is this, is that the longer Jesus is doing the ministry in the world, the more personally significant, excuse me, he becomes. Here's an example of what I mean. If you remember back at the beginning of, John, of Luke's gospel, John the Baptist is in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord, right? He's crying out as one in the wilderness, and he's preparing the way. Now, that's not very personal, right? He's just calling out to anybody who would hear, hey, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I mean, it's hopeful. The Lord's coming, right? But personal, it's not. But then last week, when, uh, when Jesus is getting into Peter's boat, right, and telling a fisherman how to fish, I mean, Jesus is up in Peter's business, right? Literally. It doesn't get much more personal than this. You see, Jesus is going from the wide to the personal. He's coming personally to us. And that's the nature of the gospel. It's the nature of Jesus' story in our lives. It is the nature of the good news. It is meant for you personally applied in your daily life. It's supposed to be personal. And many of you have already experienced this in your Christian life. And it, you found that it's beautiful and good. It's not always easy, but Jesus comes to bring life. You've come to Jesus perhaps because you... Uh, you want to experience love, true love, you want to experience forgiveness, to hear about God's grace, and what Jesus has done is he comes to you personally, 
Yes, with love and forgiveness, but also to heal and restore and to call you away from aspects of your life that are sinful. He's come to actually restore broken relationships. He's come to give you life in specific places. And some of you have experienced this, but some of you still want to experience it. You're here because you need Jesus. You need his power. You want something different than you expect that you've already experienced so far in your life. You want more. And the good news is this. It's good news for you, it's good news for me, is that in Jesus there is more. And this morning Luke gives us two stories of more in chapter five. Two stories of Jesus' personal touch and what happens when Jesus comes to you. On the surface level, the two stories, the one about the leper and the paralytic are stories about healing, right? A leper's skin is healed. Excuse me. Just keep praying that this will go away, please. It's very annoying and slightly embarrassing, but it's life, right? Uh, so on the surface level, the two stories that I read in, John's, or in Luke's gospel, the story of the leper and the paralytic, are stories about healing. A leper's skin is healed, a paralytic is made to walk, right? Pretty simple, but there's always more. Jesus comes not just for your presenting issues, you're a leper or a paralytic per se, but he comes to satisfy, to meet your underlying needs. To use the construction metaphor, he doesn't just cover up or resurface your crooked walls with trim, caulk, and paint. He gets in there and he fixes the foundation and makes it straight. He takes crooked framing, warped boards and rotten wood and replaces it. And so as here in Luke chapter 5, what we see is Jesus doing this very thing. There's a man with leprosy, and he comes up to Jesus and falls down on his knees and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Think about this for a second. News about Jesus has traveled quickly around. That he's healing, that demons are cast out. We've seen this week after week if you've been here. News has traveled fast about him. He has the power to heal. And this man, the leper, he needs healing. He needs healing. But there's more happening here. See, if you had leprosy, you weren't just ill, you were an outcast. See, there are a whole lot of diseases that might be constituted, skin diseases that be considered leprous. But the big deal was, not, was that you were designated if you were a leper, you were designated by the law as unclean. And you were required to wear rags, and the law required you to walk around screaming, unclean, unclean, so that people would avoid you. They would be completely social outcasts. Now imagine, you're considered walking dead. You're considered unclean. There's no real hope of a cure. No way to actually become clean. Imagine how the leper had felt. You were horribly alone and you were isolated. No one would even have touched you. You might have had contact with other lepers on the outside of the city, but you were completely outside of acceptance. And so then enter this scene with Jesus and it becomes really quite incredible. 
It should encourage each one of us. This is the truth of the gospel. Jesus can make us clean, but will he? And Jesus' response to this question is, I will be clean. Jesus' response to you and me this morning, whatever we've done, whatever we have, whatever we're hiding, whatever shame is deeply inside, is that I want to make you clean. Trevor, I want to reach into that thing that nobody else knows about. And I want to touch you and forgive you and make you clean there. But it's not just words. Think about this. Here's a social pariah who's begging Jesus to make him clean, who nobody will touch. And what does Jesus do? He gets down, and he reaches out, and he touches him. He says, be clean. I don't know if you ever felt so low, so dirty, so ashamed that you feel like nobody would ever accept you. That's pretty drastic, but I know this. I felt that way. I felt like there are things inside of me and things that I've done and things that I've said and things that I've thought that would make me unacceptable to Jesus. And this morning what we see is Jesus saying, I know about it. I'm not scared of it. I'm willing to touch you in that place. I'm willing to make you clean. Not only that, not only is he physically made clean, but you see the bigger picture? He's socially made clean. Where he had no people, he now has people. He presumably is in not just the body of the clean people, but he's made a part of this family of God that God is making through his son Jesus. The ones who have been healed, the ones who have received grace upon grace. See how incredible this is? Jesus is doing much more than physical healing. He's putting you as a part of a family. He's putting you as part of a people. He's taking you that where you were once a pariah and making you acceptable, not just to him, but to other people. It's a really marvelous story. Then we get the second story about the paralytic. And on the face of it, we know that, I mean, what's the guy's problem, right? He's paralyzed. Are you with me? That seems like a bad thing. And he's got these great friends who have this incredible faith, so much faith that they're willing to carry him who knows how far and bring him to the one that everybody's talking about that can heal him. And they get there and the crowd is so much and they go, well, you know what? What is a few petty crimes in order to help our friend get healed, right? And so they climb up and they trespass on these people's ruse and then they uh, destroy some personal property by removing the tiles and the dirt and the sand. You imagine Jesus is down there going, little bits and pieces of roof are falling down. And all of a sudden he looks up and he goes, whoa. And they lower their friend into the midst of this house. What does Jesus say? Does he say, hey, you're healed. Get up and walk. That's not what he says. I mean, that would be pretty marvelous. But he says this really remarkable thing. He says, 
your sins are forgiven. Why is this so significant? Because the outward brokenness of the world, the paralysis, the skin disease, the broken relationships, all the things that you and I might experience, right? Are those our real problems? No. They're not actually our real problems. Our real problem is that we have sin. And so Jesus is looking at this man. Now, he's got these onlookers around the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are going to call him out in a moment. But he's got these people looking on, and he says, your sins are forgiven. It's intentional, partly because it's the underlying problem. The foundation of the world is broken. It's crooked. The walls, the wood is warped. The only way to make it straight and right is to deal with the problem at the root, right? Under the foundation. And the foundational problem that we all have is sin. See how marvelous this is? There's so much more happening here. You know, here at Holy Cross, we believe we are a community living for Christ, right? In the power of the Holy Spirit. We're community. We're here together. There are great things about it. But at the very core, it is a community of redeemed people, people whose sins are forgiven. Some of us have had miraculous healings, right? And some of us have seen uh, miracles take place, and some of us are still struggling with things. But the fact is, is that God, through his forgiveness of our sin, ultimately, universally, cosmically has made us well. That's really great news. It's incredible news. If you're here this morning... If you're here this morning and you're wondering, can he, will he, does he? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. And that's the way we apply this word this morning. First, Jesus has the power to heal. And our problem, the one that we all must recognize, every one of us, is that we are sinners. Whatever our outward thing, whatever has brought us in, whatever relationship is broken, whatever shame we feel, the fact of the matter is, is that ultimately the problem, the root, the foundational issue is sin, and Jesus comes into the world and he has the power to forgive sin. He does it in front of the religious leaders this morning in the passage, and they start going, whoa, what blasphemies are this? Who has the power to forgive sin but God alone? Well, guess what? The guy standing on the stage, the guy who is talking to the, per, the guy who's paralyzed, he's God. And just to prove it, just to prove that I have the ability and the right to forgive sin, I'm going to tell you to get up and walk, both of which seem completely impossible. And guess what? The guy gets up and he takes his mat and he walks. So the first way we apply this this morning is to recognize that underneath our presenting issues, sin is what Jesus comes to fix. The second thing is that Jesus desires to forgive you. There are 125, 130 of us this morning. I promise you that in every one of us, there's something which we are holding on to that we don't believe Jesus will forgive. We don't believe that he would. It's called, in the 
psychology world is called toxic shame. We believe that we're so bad that he would, nobody would, if they knew, certainly God would never forgive this. And I point to this scripture about the leper. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will heal you. Think about that one thing that you're not letting anybody, it's deep in here, you've got some walls around it, they're crooked and they've got a lot of putty and paint on them and you're like, I'm not gonna let anybody know about that. I don't want anybody to see that. I don't want anybody to know about that. I don't, wanna, uh, I don't wanna deal with that. I don't wanna admit that. The fact is, is that Jesus already knows what's behind that wall He knew it long before you were ever born. He knew it long before he was ever born into the world. He knew it at the very foundations when he created the world that you, whatever your name is, would do that thing. You would have that experience. And guess what? Jesus comes into the world for you still. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I just love it. It's like, man, he knew how much I was a mess before he even created me. And he knew that he was going to come into the world, born of Mary and the Holy Spirit, and be born and go all the way to the cross because he knew deep inside the foundational issue had to be dealt with there. If you don't think he desires to heal you, he does. If you don't think he has the power to heal you, he does. If you don't think he will heal you, he will if you come to him. The third thing is this. When God heals us, when he makes us perfect through his son Jesus, he puts you and me in a family. He puts us in a community. Some of that community is right here, right? Just look across. I like to do this periodically. Y'all, everybody look that way, okay? Some of you not believing me. See somebody else, wave to them, smile, right? There you go, good. He's put us in this community to live together. He's given us a family if we didn't have a family. He's given us brothers and sisters if we don't have brothers and sisters. He's given us spiritual parents and spiritual children if you don't have children. He's making you part of a family whether you're married or single, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed. All of that, he's making you part of a family. There's something the family does. And I want to point to it in our last part of the passage, right? There are presumably we think of four i don't know how many friends carried this guy perhaps they were kind of andre the giant characters and it was just one but this um you know i think that there were four sort of like carrying a, a a military gurney we actually have one in the other church in case somebody uh needs is needs to be carried out um you know four uh four handles and lie them down i feel like this is the picture right four guys who are bringing their friend to be healed. I think this is the word for us this morning. How many of you have friends who need to be healed by Jesus? I have lots of them. Lots of them. And I'll sit around and have a conversation and hear about the hardships of their life. And I'm a pastor, and sometimes I forget to do what? I forget to actually point them to Jesus. Look, if you are in Christ, if you are in him, if you are following after him, you have the answer to every problem in the whole wide world. I don't want to be trite. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want to have just, oh, if you just trust Jesus, because it's not always quite that simple. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that whatever the problem, the underlying issue is what? Sin. And Jesus is the one who deals with sin. What if we were a bunch of medics bringing our friends and our family and our neighbors to Jesus? What would the world look like? So here's my challenge. Knowing that you're a sinner and need healing, knowing that Jesus desires to heal and that he will and heal you, come to him, offer yourself to him. Here's my challenge. This week, you're going to experience a conversation with somebody, and it might be, oh, let's see, might be somebody who's having, uh, whose marriage is falling apart, you're having coffee with them. It might be a child who's uh, struggling in a school, who's having a problem with their friends. It might be someone who's feeling guilty because they did something wrong. Think about all these conversations. We have them all the time. What would it take for you to point them to Jesus? And would you just go, you know what? I felt that way, and Jesus wants to forgive that. You know what? I know where you can find life. His name is Jesus. Make it natural, make it normal, but would you join me in trying to point someone to the Lord this week? Because he desires to make us well. He has the power to make us well, and he will make us well if we turn to him. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that you don't just paint and caulk our lives, but that you heal us inwardly. Thank you that you don't just simply make us uh, outwardly presentable. You come to be with us personally. You come to reach down and to touch us where we feel untouchable. Thank you that you come not just to uh, just to stand in a place of authority, but you get down in our mess with us. Would you help us, Lord, as missionaries, as disciple-makers, as your followers, to fulfill your kingdom by getting down in the mess with people who are messy and pointing them, carrying them, bringing them to you. Would you empower us with your Holy Spirit this morning to make that a reality in Jesus' name? Amen.